0: When you do those little things like that, you don't really want to do, but you make yourself do them and you keep doing those over and over again, whether it's even making your bed when you get up in the morning or whatever, you know what I mean? You're building up that grit, you're building up that resilience. I'm Dr. Mark Rowe and welcome to my podcast, In the Doctor's Chair. As a family
1: physician, my expertise is supporting people in the areas of positive health and lifestyle medicine. Join me in conversations that share life lessons, health habits, and leadership practices, focusing on positive psychology, lifestyle medicine, and ways that enable you to live with more vitality on purpose. Appreciating that when it comes to your vitality, that everything is so interconnected. Episodes will air weekly, and you can find me wherever you listen to your podcasts. And of course, on my website, drmarkrow.com. Tom Brennan, co-founder of Airgen Pharma and Trivium Vet, talks with me about how in his experience, small incremental changes result in grit and resilience. Tom firmly believes that what you think becomes what you feel. Being mindful that you need to rule your mind or it will rule you. If you're a leader who recognizes, particularly since COVID 19, that living with vitality and building a more resilient mind matter now more than ever for you and your team, then this podcast is for you. For further details, visit drmarkrow.com. So, good morning, Tom. It's great to have you on the podcast today. Morning, Mark. Good to see you again. How are you? I'm terrific. It's a great honor to have this opportunity to chat with you, Tom, because clearly when I think of Tom Brennan, not only is he a great guy, but, you know, obviously in the business world, very much a serial entrepreneur. And I suppose what I'd like to ask you, Tom, at the start is what drives you?
0: Yeah, well, thanks for the nice introduction, Mark. You know, I, sometimes laugh when I hear the word serial entrepreneur, you know. I heard somebody say once, like, if you paint five or six different houses, I guess you're a painter. I don't know, you know, but anyway. <laughs> uh, uh,
1: uh,
0: what drives me? It's changed over the years, to be totally honest with you, you know, and mm-hmm. I find I have different motivations at different stages of life. So, you know, when I was in my 20s and early 30s and that, you know, I had a all-consuming passion to have my own business. and. I think many people can possibly resonate with that fact that that they would like to do their own thing. And Mm. it was actually something that happened for us with Ergen. But now, now I'm probably more so like being involved in projects, but maybe less on a hands-on or less 24-7 role. And, you know, I enjoy getting involved in other activities or initiatives. So I suppose my motivation and drive by default is kind of more maybe broader than it was before and and I think I possibly have a better perspective on life than as a result of that you know.
1: Mm. In what way do you think your perspective has changed?
0: That it's not all about work and building the business which are important with the initiatives I'm involved in but I think possibly as you're older and a little bit wiser kind of come up and smell the roses a bit more and appreciate things more and just not get sucked down into the bowels of, you know, work driving everything on as much as maybe as we used to. And I think that type of momentum is probably unsustainable anyway, you know. Yes. I I think that my perspective has changed as I'm getting a little older, which is good.
1: Yes. And I know from talking to you, Tom, health is something that's very important to you. And, you know, looking after your health, what sort of health habits have you cultivated over the years
0: to enable you to stay at the top Well I think That's changed as well I th- I'm a lot more aware Of my health mm. As the years go by As well You know what I mean So I'm trying to make Small increments To make me healthier and, yes. and make better health choices Rather than Going off and Trying to do Ironmans Or something ridiculous Like that You know what I mean Which I'd, I never would Be able to do You know So mm. what type of health choice Do I do I've just walked a dog And I'm lucky I live in Where I live in Cannell Where we live now We're just a few yards From the Blueway And it's very very easy To go for a walk there Mm-hmm. But I suppose, in terms of health, from a business perspective in Trivium, you know, we're looking, and I'm, I'm fortunate I'm getting to read a lot about health and lifespan and that because we're looking at developing new therapies to increase lifespan for pets. So, you know, that gets you thinking about your own health and that, you know, and I think the real secret is to increase health span, you know, and to see how you can maybe delay possibly diseases or conditions that, you know, might put you in poor health later in life. So, for example, when I was younger, I used to get by in a couple of hours sleep, but now I need more. And a 50-odd-year-old constitution is a lot less resilient than my 25-year-old one. So, I'm definitely making better lifestyle choices, you know, just in terms of everything. They're not perfect by any means, but I'm trying to do those little increments all the time. So,
1: I love what you've said there, and I'll come back to it. I want to hear that example in a minute, but just for the listeners, you've mentioned three really interesting and important ideas about health as far as I'm concerned. Firstly, you're talking about the power of small increments. In other words, yeah, small positive changes over time can really add up to make a big difference to your long-term health and well-being, that idea of just trying to improve yourself 1%. Secondly, you spoke about health span. I think that's a tremendous concept, the yeah. idea of adding life to your years. Rather than simply focusing on adding years to your life. And then the third thing you mentioned there was about progress. It's not about perfection. Nothing and no one is perfect. We're all human beings. We're all flawed. But it's the idea that we can improve and today can be a new start to recommit to a healthier version of you. I think there are three wonderful ideas in terms of positive health, Tom. So I just wanted the listeners to
0: hear that. Sure. So you know, and I thought like from the increment point of view, I can relate to it, say if you look at it from a financial perspective, if you Google the power of compound interest, for example, you know, in other words, Mm -hmm. if you do regular savings, what the key take home is it's not the amount money that you save, it's where you get the real benefit is over time, you know, and and it's you get the big, big, big payoff the longer it goes on for. And really You know, the more you read about it, the same applies to health. There's a book called Atomic Habits by James Clear, for example. And and he graphs that out quite similar to to compound interest where he talks about, you know, a stone mason, you know, hitting the stone thousand Mm. times to break it. And it's the one thousandth and first bang of the hammer that breaks it in two. So you don't see increments, you don't see improvements every day, but definitely over the long term, you know, So, like, for example there's a history of osteoporosis in, in my own family you know yes. and, and I know from my own bone DEXA scans for example you know that you know your little bone density is less than marginally less than maybe it should be for my age so you know it's something you can work on now to for example make sure that you maintain bone mass and you're only, you're only going to get the benefit of that activity that you're doing now is only hopefully going to come in 20 or 30 years time you know what I mean You're not going to see you tomorrow or something like that you know so it's, it's something that definitely resonates with me Mark you know Well, I think that's the power of prevention and and how Mm.
1: building habits. I mean, Aristotle once said, you know, we're all creatures of habit and in life we make our habits, then our habits make us. And I think you're so right. It's it's the things we repeatedly do uh, and really add up to make such a difference. And I think Absolutely. you've articulated that really, really well, Tom. I know from our talking before, you have a big interest in sea swimming. And, you know, this might be the sunny southeast we're living in in Ireland. Mm-hmm. But certainly I know that water is cold yeah. <laughs> in
0: yeah. the
1: winter. But I know you love the sea swimming. Could you talk just yeah. a little bit about that? Yeah,
0: well, I'm fortunate that I get to spend a lot of time in the East, which is just a beautiful it is. heart of the world and for me it's, it's you know it's probably the nicest place in earth in many ways you know what I mean mm. um, and just fantastic place to unwind and relax and you know anybody I know that goes here would say the same you know what I've started to do in recent years I think maybe sea swimming might be overdoing what I'm saying but I try to get into the water and yes. spend 15 to 20 minutes in it and maybe just you know trashing around rather than very elegant swimming market. but I, I find it great I mean the cold of it and the thought to doing it is the first couple of minutes of it it's incredibly difficult but you feel amazing after it and mm-hmm. you know if you talk about resilience it's doing you're talking and you talked about habits there earlier it's doing things like that actually that physically they make you feel good and mentally they make you feel good, but they also chip away at the habit of resilience or in some ways being comfortable, being uncomfortable, if that makes sense. You know what I yes. mean? So in other words, the fact that you leave and say, I'm going to go down and get into the water today, even though you know it's going to be very, very unpleasant for the first couple of minutes, that helps build a mental muscle that you'll be uncomfortable doing something uncomfortable, which is good for you. And so I think in many ways, the coal certainly helps the mental muscle, it helps the well being and there's all sorts of research out there in terms of cold and heat shock proteins, how it how it helps your metabolism as well. So it's um Yes. I'm going with that rather than trying marathons or anything like that and that's working for me well, you know.
1: Well, I love that idea of being comfortable, being uncomfortable, and this idea of mm. getting out of our comfort zone, stretching mm. ourselves, enabling ourselves to grow and as you said, to build up that reservoir of resilience, strengthen your willpower yeah. and your self-control. And I think these are all things that we can do in our daily lives in our own way. I mean, sea swimming may not suit everybody, but we all have things we can do to stretch and grow.
0: Would you not agree? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and it's those small things. And mm. it's probably, you know, you, you talk about resilience there and it's all based on grit. And I, I can't say I have, you know, any more or less grit than anybody else, but... When you do those little things like that, you don't really want to do, but you make yourself do them and you keep doing those over and over again, whether it's even making your bed when you get up in the morning or whatever, you know what I mean? You're building up that grit, you're building up that resilience and you really only get that through graft and doing, doing things that you may not really want to do in real life. You know, some great research on this by Angela Duckworth, for example, in in terms of grit. And that's right. I've read a lot about, and I find it fascinating. I'm fascinated by that old Arab proverb about, you know, I think it's something like my grandfather had a camel, my father had a car, I have the Merck, and you know my grandson will be back on the camel. And you know, I often wonder: is, does that proverb relate to resilience in terms of that when you don't have everything and you buckle down and you do things, is that kind of you know is that a mm. recipe for success? Like you know,
1: so. there was a wonderful English writer, William Blake, who once wrote that the strongest poison ever known was Caesar's laurel crown. In other words, that nothing mm. in life fails like success, but you're really articulating very well how you're continually working to stretch and grow and build grit and build resilience and build that sense of being comfortable being uncomfortable in, in your daily habits. So I think you've really answered the question I would ask you about how you cope with success.
0: Yeah, well, in terms of success, I'd be kind of uncomfortable saying you're successful. You know, we had some success in business, you know, I'd be quite uncomfortable labeling myself as successful, you know, because success is relatively. What is um, is
1: success, Tom? What does success mean to you?
0: Yeah, I think it's being happy doing what you're doing with people Mm. you want to be doing whatever with, you know what I mean? Yes. Um, It's different for everybody, and it's certainly just having, you know, one or two once-off kind of what you call successes in business can't define you as being successful. Because it's everything. It's your life, your health, your family, your relationship with others. And, you know, everybody tries to be the best that they can at that, And, and if you feel that the glass is half full maybe more times than the glass is half empty. You know, that for me, that's a lot in terms of success, you
1: know. I mean, there's a beautiful quote by Ralph Waldo Emerson. Uh, You may be familiar with it about success. And he defines success as to laugh often, to appreciate beauty, find the best in others. To know know that even one person has breathed more easily because you've lived. In other words, a, a much broader definition of success than the sort of, I suppose, materialistic culture of the Western world, looking at, as you said, family, health, hobbies. Yeah. And another word I'd like to throw in there is community. I think, you know, we are all better together and how we connect with our community and how we support others. I think that for me, that's really, really important Absolutely. locally or in terms of the global perspective. And I know just in terms of community, Tom, I know we share a passion for hurling and I know mm. you're a leash man and I know you're very passionate about supporting the leash, the young leash harlers. Could you talk mm. a little
0: bit about that? Even though I've lived in Tipperary now for many years, I yes. grew up in leash I'm, I'm from a place called Clough and I had a... Keen interest in GA all my life. It was an initiative that's given me a lot of satisfaction actually, and was surprised how much I enjoyed it. But I, I got involved with the County Minor panel last year, and I was very fortunate that I got to know good friend of yours also, Derek McGrath, through my just through my links here in Waterford, probably back in 2019. And Derek's a great guy. I actually, I meet them later on today, and we're going to go for a stroll. But Derek came on board with some friends of mine that were. You know, managing the Leash Miner panel, and and it gave me a different outlet, a different perspective, a different interest, and it was quite fascinating. You know, working mm-hmm. with somebody as talented as Derek and and as talented as the lads as well, trying to deliver a goal which ultimately we were unsuccessful with, but trying to deliver a goal which was quite different to goals I would have tried to do previously. You know, in terms of business or or it was a kind of you know it was a different type of team environment and. It was incredibly stimulating and it was great to be able to do it in the county that I'm from. And I don't know, hopefully put something back in a small way. But, you know, I got a huge amount of growth from it myself. So, um, mm. you know, I really, really enjoyed it. And and in fact, we've stuck with it uh, and we're still involved this year as well. So it, I kind of see projects like that more and more as activities I like to get involved with. And the fact that there's the Least Link, you know, with special also, you know.
1: And there is, I think there is something intrinsically beautiful about, you know, a shared community effort, whether it's, you know, the county GEA team or some other community initiative where people just have a vested interest in the success of the project. It really taps into, there's this word we use now in Ireland, mehel, that sense of community spirit, that sense of purpose. Absolutely, yeah. I suppose that sense of who we are. And Mm. uh, I think as Irish people, we've always had a strong sense of that, haven't we? You know, that sense of, yeah, yeah. Of Irish, and I think it's one of the really great things about us that we do. Absolutely. We do really look out for each other, I think,
0: compared to many other countries in a really good way. Absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. And it's greater than the sum of the individuals combined, As you know. It's, uh, yes. they're very, very satisfying uh, initiatives, you know. And of
1: course, I know from my own involvement in sports, sport can be absolutely brutal. Uh, mm, being involved yeah. with teams and, time, and, yeah. and supporting, watching teams, you know, I mean, it's very all or nothing very win-lose but I suppose the, the the trick is to enjoy the journey along the way Tom
0: The trick is to enjoy the journey all the way and it's also you know is especially when you're working with underage is winning and losing is that the measure you know what I mean and obviously it, mm. of course it's a measure but you know there has to be more to it than that as well which is you know development of mm. individuals at, at that age also you know and having a positive impact and influence you know so
1: no, I think I think you're absolutely right they are really two sides of the same coin and it's really, it's about values and it's about mm-hmm. how you play the game and it's, it's learning the life skills that can support you because really business and sport are so, some of these skills are so intertransferable, Tom, aren't they? Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. You know, and it's, the more you see it now, you know, it's really emotional intelligence is way more valuable, a business skill than IQ in many ways, you know what I mean? And, Getting involved in activities like that is is where you and hopefully others, you know, will, will develop your EQ. You know.
1: Yes, absolutely. Who do you admire in in the world of leadership, in the world of entrepreneurship, Tom? Who who, who are the type well, of people that you?
0: I used to admire people, you know, I said maybe people in the US or whatever that were so far away, but in more recent years. I admired many people, and they're closer to home, and I was actually—it's funny you should, should ask that because I was thinking about that quite recently. And I'm very, very lucky. There were many people, not well, there were maybe not many, but there were some people that I really admired from afar. You know, so I've read about them, I've seen them on, I've seen what they've written, I've seen what they've spoke, and and I, well, I wouldn't have known them and admired what they stood for and and whatever. And then. Over the years, I've actually gotten to know those people then personally, subsequently to admiring them from afar. So Derek McGrath, good example there that I spoke about. You know, I admired what Derek had done and, and how he conducted himself and and what his values were well before I ever ever got to know him. And like when I say somebody like Pory Cage, you know, I, I was involved in the Entrepreneurial Year Programme. I remember reading about Pory over the years and. Yes, what he had done with Air Aaron and you know Europe's fastest going regional airline you know world entrepreneur dear. you know I'd read about Pori for many years and I got to know him in probably 10 years ago now and Paharie was a firm friend and I was on the board of National Maternity Hospital Foundation again Dr. Rona Mahoney you know I have read about Rona and you know first female master of a hospital in Ireland and real trailblazer and again I've gotten to know Rona as a friend in recent years as well so I suppose the answer to my question is, there are many people that I admire, but more and more so there are people closer to home. And I am incredibly unfortunate that I've got to know the people I admire. Mm. Some, sorry, I've got to know some people I admire on a friendship level, which is an incredible privilege, actually, you know. Yes.
1: Well, I would say the same, Tom. I, obviously, I mean, I like to read about the great Roman philosophers, the Stoics and so on. But in my work as a family doctor, I've been really privileged to meet and get to know Many, many people over the years whom whom I greatly admire uh, in all sorts of ways. And and sometimes these are people who I feel have been really successful, not by the traditional metrics of success at all, but in terms of how they've coped with setbacks, how they've uh, raised their families, how they've contributed Mm -hmm. to their communities, how they've been always giving to volunteering causes and uh, with a great sense of civic community or giving to themselves in terms of bettering our waterboard where we live and things like that and Mm -hmm. these people really inspire me yeah I really I really do feel lucky to be able to meet so many people that do so much good
0: yeah and at the end of the day they're all human you know just absolutely and you you know what I mean you know so it's good to see you're not the only human one you know (laughs) absolutely we're all
1: human beings and we're all absolutely as I say perfect in our imperfections (laughs) Tom what What's the best lesson you've ever learned so far on this journey
0: called life? What I've learned recently, and again, it's just <clears> as I do more and more reading around resilience and lifestyle and health and that is. So I've worked on it as well. And I think everybody, you know, it crops up for everyone at the time, to time and which is rule your mind or it'll rule you. And basically, what does that mean? So we all, most of the time, we have conversations with ourselves more than we have conversations with anybody else. And our brain is churning away. And we often let ourselves tell ourselves things that we'd be deeply offended by if somebody else said it to us. Mm-hmm. So, for example, you know, you, you, you could be saying your your mind could be, you, you let your mind tell you, you know, oh, you know, you failed there or oh, you were so silly there or, you know, you were stupid there or whatever. And people have these conversations with their mind all the time. And, mm-hmm. and you talk about success there, but sometimes your own mind is your own it can be your own best friend, but if you don't tame it, it can be your own worst enemy, you know. So Oh absolutely so, so it's about what you tell yourself. And it's easier said than done, you know. But in reality, you're constantly creating your own reality. What you think becomes what you feel as an individual, you know, mm. and in terms of how you interact with others. So I've worked on if I have negativity or you know what I mean because everybody you have good days and you have bad days and you yes. know so, and that goes for everybody you know absolutely. I don't care who it is you know and I mean and every single person on the planet so absolutely I I become better of that if something not positive or a thought that I can stand back and I can label it and say okay you know that's not a good thought and you know my mind is starting to hey, mind, you know, why are you playing this particular trick? So when you stand back and you can label it, because at the end of the day, it's just a like physical thing that's happening in your brain. It's a different sequence of neurons firing off, you know, and, and yes. I, I think that's fascinating. And if you can get to your neurons firing in a different way, you have a different thought. So I, so kind of rambling, but what, what I'm trying to say is I take time to stand back and label thoughts, especially negative ones, and try and compartmentalize them and stand back from them. And it works well because I find then more times than not that less I certainly have fun, you know.
1: Yes. How do you do that, Tom? Do you keep a journal? Do you meditate? Do you spend time oh, in nature? Yeah. How do you like to become, as you said, the observer of your own thoughts?
0: Well, I read and I listen to a lot of podcasts about it. There's a Stanford neuroscientist called Andrew Huberman. I don't know if you've come across him. It's yes, cred- I've heard of him. Cred- incredibly interesting information just in terms of Neural plasticity, how the brain can change and evolve over time, how you can influence your thought process and positive So, I have tried mindfulness and I I haven't really stuck to it very well, Mark, even though the science is just incredible around it. Certainly walks in nature doing that more and more and more and more. And really, again, it's just education and reading about it. And then just the more you practice, the more you're able to possibly become distant from those thoughts and almost label them as a third person. Not trying yeah. to say I have this cracked or anything like that. And look, no. you know, most of the time I'm a very, very positive person. Like, you know what I mean? But, um, yes. but I, I'm very, very, very well aware that, you know, if you let your mind get away on you, um, absolutely. Then it can cause you more problems than
1: oh, any other person. You know. And I think you've articulated that so well. You know, the mind has tremendous power. We all have negative thoughts. We all have an inner critic. But if you allow mm. your inner critic to self sabotage you, I suppose, is what I'm saying. It can really bring you into a downward spiral. And, you know, becoming the observer of your thoughts whether it's through a formal mindful practice like meditation, yeah, mindful breathing time in nature, or as you're doing so well, you know, with your sea swimming and spending time in the water, because I think that's yeah, a very yeah. good mindful practice. It is because
0: you're not you know? thinking of any, you know, you're not really daydreaming when you're in the cold water, you know, you're pretty no. much in the moment, you know, so absolutely. You know, and there is research out there that spending time in nature gives you, you know, you become more aware and, and absolutely. And, and even, I think I read something recently where if, even if you play the same song on a loop on you're, you know, in the car or something like that, you know, it's it's almost like a mention that as well. Mm. So, you know, there's, there, there's people don't have to become, and I certainly, you know, am more so interested in becoming like this kind of Himalayan yogi or something like that, you know what I mean? But um, <laughs> it's where it all is in many ways. I mean, where, you know, the level of anxiety with teens now is, it's off it the charts. And, and yes. you know, so, I mean, you know, anybody wanting to go to college in terms of, positive mental health or psychology, I think, you know, there's, there's going to be no shortage of emotions there in, in the coming years. You know,
1: I think the other point you raised really is that we all have good days. We all have tough days. We all have yeah. days when we might feel stressed or anxious. And really, it's about emotional agility. It, it, it's being able to accept and acknowledge and sit with uncomfortable emotions as you said be comfortable being uncomfortable that goes for our Mm. our thinking and our emotional state as well and that does give us the I suppose the emotional intelligence as you said earlier to really build a more resilient mind be more present and be more fulfilled and be happier absolutely absolutely Tom, if you were to look back over the last five years of your life, what would you say has been the main highlight for you?
0: Okay, well, I suppose there's been quite a bit of change in the last five years. You know, if I even take it back six years, actually, just to because I founded Ergen with, with Patsy Carney, who you know well, uh, yes. in 2005, and we saw that in 2015. So oh, that I was, if, I,
1: if, if I can, no. if I can take, take five years to six years, actually, you know, that was... And just for the listeners, I mean, Ergen has been a real, I suppose, a poster boy for Irish entrepreneurial success, yourself and Patsy. I mean, that was a real success story. So I just wanted to kind of put that in there.
0: Yeah, and thanks, Mark. And look, at, you know, the success was uh, in reality a culmination of the work of, you know, a couple of hundred people, you know what of I mean? Of course. Um, which we absolutely were the public face of. And, you know, I definitely am well aware of the fact that it was other people's efforts, you know, and not just our own. So of course. Brilliant. <laughs> Got urgent to urge where it was. So they urged in 15 and they became part of Opco, which is a large, you know, New York Stock Exchange quoted company. And that bought a lot of security because they were part of a much bigger organization too to AirGen. But in 2017, then, you know, I really enjoyed being an entrepreneur and founding mm. the businesses rather than being back working in the big carpet environment as well. So in 2017, I took a year out. I left and took a full year off and that was fantastic. It gave me the freedom to do whatever I wanted to do each day. It was a perfect circuit breaker from the, I suppose, not the grind, but, you know, the intensity of in the founder and one of the co-leaders of the business and that allowed me to get involved in new projects, to help think out new projects, both from a business perspective, from a personal perspective. So basically, I took my gap year when I was around 50, you know what I mean? And it was a great decision. So for me, the sale of Urgen was a seminal moment, but taking the time out into your office equally as yes. significant for me, you know?
1: Yeah. And I think that's a great thing to do is to take time regularly to think, reflect, see where you've been where you'd like to go, how things mm. are in your life. You don't have to take a year to do it. You could take a day in a week to do yeah, it. But I, think, I think you're absolutely right. Taking time to think and
0: reflect can be so, so powerful. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. And, and then, look at it, you know, it's it horses for horses. For me, mm. I wanted that time away, but it really did help me then look at other projects that I'm involved with now with, you know, with Trivia and Vet, with Louise Grober, you know, with with Shore the farm or with some boards involved in that as well. So it, it wasn't, it didn't switch off from a business perspective completely, but we was, was able to do it at a different pace, I think, you know. Would you tell
1: our listeners a little bit about Trivium Vet? Because the little bit I know about it, Tom, I think it's fascinating, the work you're doing in terms of longevity with animals, that research. Could you share that?
0: Sure, sure. So founded Trivium Vet with Louise Grubb in Waterford. Mm. years ago and Louise is an incredible, incredible entrepreneur. She is. Incredible mind, you know, incredible drive and just it's a privilege to to be working with her. And we've built a really a fantastic team in the business of Wave offices in Waterford. but. In terms of our focus is to look at chronic disease in animals, in and mainly companion animals which are pets, because most of you know, we felt most veterinary research in terms of new products were, were more on their standard, you know, fleas or ticks or worms or whatever. But pets are becoming more and more part of the family. Mm-hmm. And as a result, you know, pet owners want to treat them from the same chronic diseases that they treat themselves or their family members for because pets are are part of the family. So we're looking at treatment of chronic diseases, mainly in the cardio area. And, you know, pets live beside humans. So they're, they're a great proxy for human lifestyle. So like, for example, if a person that is active, it's likely that their dog is active. And if they're not too active, it's likely that their dog is not too active. So dog health, especially, it's a great proxy or, you know, it's a great mirror for human disease and human aging. You know, except that mm. dogs have a much shorter Lifespan. So we're working on a number of initiatives in Trivium, but the kind of focus around, back to what I mentioned earlier, which is health span and diseases of aging. And by default, if we can cure those or extend the early stages of those conditions that are becoming chronic, then, you know, we can significantly extend the average lifespan of, let's say, a dog or a cat. So cardiomyopathy, which you're familiar with, there's a number of different types of it. So we're looking at cardiomyopathy in dogs and cats and, and there are two different forms of it. And we have, if you Google a, a drug called rapamycin, R-A-T-A-M-I-C-A-N. Yes, that's it's fascinating. Also called, it's also called serolimus. It was isolated from a bacterium found on Easter Island. So yes, we have, a, we have a big Easter Island head in the middle of our office. And it's a very, very, very exciting product. It's used as an immunotherapy at the moment. But there's, information in literature to show that if you dose rapamycin intermittently without getting too much into the science it may delay the aging process and it may reverse some chronic conditions say for example such as heart disease or, yes. or whatever so it's worked really well in laboratory models in yeast and fruit flies and mice so we've developed our own version of this drug which is gastroprotected so it's, it's released outside of the stomach and we have clinical trials ongoing both in cats And dogs for cardiomyopathy. Mm -hmm. We've also won with dogs for what's called mitral valve disease, which is, which is another uh, cardiac condition. And we've also very excitingly teamed up with an initiative funded by the US government called the dog aging project. And they're looking at 40 to 50,000 dogs. As a proxy for aging. And we're doing a part of that study with the promoters of the dog aging study, where we're dosing our refamycin formulation mm-hmm. to actually see over time does it improve the average age and the health span of the dogs versus no intervention? And we're very, very excited about mm-hmm. the possibilities of the outcomes from these studies and in fact their applications into human health underlying, you know. Well, I think that's absolutely brilliant work and brilliant research. And it plugs in
1: totally with, you know, the idea from lifestyle medicine, which I'm a big advocate for. Mm. The idea that your DNA is not set in stone, that your epigenome, which which sits on top of your DNA, it's like the master switch, probably accounts for about 75 to 80% of how your genes express themselves. Mm. And your epigenome is controlled by you know, to a large degree, your lifestyle habits, whether it's your exercise and movement, the quality of your sleep, your ability to recharge from stress, Absolutely. Uh, the food you eat or don't eat uh, in a continuous cycle of change. And, yeah. uh, you know, in other words, that we have two ages, you have your chronological age, which is your date of birth. None of us uh, can yeah. change that, but your biological age, the miles on your clock, that that is up for grabs.
0: Absolutely. On your and, 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 habits. and there's more and more research Mm. Coming out around that, I think it's called a Hogwarts clock. I I, I probably have the pronunciation wrong in terms of that. And, you know, certainly drugs like rapamycin seem to be able to, say, for example, mimic the effects of prolonged fasting, With you know, over thousands of years, and we weren't bought up on three meals a day that man as a hunter gatherer had to go and find food. So, you know, sometimes it was periods of feast, other times it was periods of famine, you know, And, and that intermittent fasting and the effect it has on the body seems to be built in well before we started cultivating wheat and bread and having regular meals a day and you know a, a drug like rapamycin seems to mimic the effects of that fasting does and, and yes. I'm, I'm saying seems because we're in clinical trials i'm not saying does i'm said yes and well, you, and, well, you... and as a result like say for example with fasting and if anybody mm. googles the benefits of fasting you'll see that you get that kind of cellular cleanup of of damaged cells that the body will use those as a source of energy. You know what I mean? So there's there's some fascinating research and breakthroughs in this area at the moment.
1: There is. I think the research that's happening in this area at the moment, the degree of acceleration in terms of our understanding about the benefits of, of a healthier lifestyle are really incredible. What I'd like any of our listeners to understand is that it's about the power of Small positive changes. You know, Rome wasn't built in a day. But as you said earlier in our conversation, building your own sense of self-awareness so that you get to know yourself better, know what suits you best and making some changes that enable mm. you to simply think more positively and more clearly feel better and get more quality in your day-to-day lived experience tom just on the pets i mean for me vitamin p i call it you know i think the oxytocin release i think i think it is really good for people and and i people really do love their pets. And I see people yeah. when, when they lose vitamin a pet. P, I haven't
0: heard that one before. Yeah.
1: I call it vitamin P, but it's, mm-hmm. it, it can be a real bereavement process if people lose someone, lose an animal, lose a pet. Uh, Absolutely. You, really, you know, it's yeah. ju- just I, like
0: that. Somebody told me, so I don't have evidence for this and happy to be proved wrong on it. But I heard a statistic that during, say, around the 08 the financial crisis and that pet care was one of two overall industry segments that didn't have a downturn as a result of the financial crisis in a way so I, I don't know what the other one was but um, mm-hmm. you know and, and the research out there in terms of what companionship brings in terms of mental health and well-being yes. and you know I mean people that have pets in the their dog and you know, the dog running towards them you know you smile and you know all those that, that happen hundreds of times has a beneficial effect and also you know if I put my business pass on looking at it, COVID and people working from home and that you know people are there's, there's huge demand on pet as you can see out there and there's a, probably the demand exceeds the supply, so it's, mm. a, it's a massive massive well, growth opportunity as well
1: as you said earlier tom we are human beings and part of being a human being is the need to care for others yeah. and that oxytocin that's building that sense of connection with other humans and with pets and even with plants in nature i mean all of that can be really really good tom can i ask you just for our listeners can you give our listeners what you would consider to be three take-homes for building a more resilient mind? I mean, I know you mentioned lots of things in our conversation, but what what would three take-homes
0: be for our listeners? Probably just recap on, I I think I might have said them before, number one, resilience is grit, you know, for me. And you have to work on it. And it can only learn to grasp real-life experiences and, and in many ways setbacks as well, you know. Number two, small increments are the power of compound interest, if you want to put it that way, for those that are business-related. Small increments, big leaps in time. And trying being comfortable, being uncomfortable. So look, I'm repeating what I might have said earlier, but I think those three attributes and practices, I think, certainly build resilience. You know?
1: I think that's tremendous. And finally, Tom Brennan, can I just ask you,
0: for you, what is the meaning of life? What's the meaning of life, Mark? God, The meaning of life means not being dead. And it means in the meaning of life, not being dead, both in the literal and the philosophical sense. Yes. Well, Tom, it's been
1: an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast in The Doctor's share. And, you know, keep leading, keep inspiring. I wish you every ongoing success in the broadest definition of how we've described success today. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Mark. Always a pleasure. Much appreciated. Thank you for listening to my podcast in the doctor's chair. For further resources to support you to live with more vitality, please visit my website, drmarkrow.com.